0: Everybody. Welcome to the Vituation Room Podcast, live from California, very on fire, very smoky. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. Thanks for being here. Thank you for not scrolling away. Thank you for skipping through that ad, because, you know, I got to get the point two zero cents on this podcast. Thank you, future people, for listening, for downloading as a podcast. So good to have you here. David DeRice on YouTube, Joey Ortega on Facebook, Rebecca Cowan on YouTube, just to name a few, okay? There's a lot of you, not to brag. You're amazing. We've got such a good show today. We're talking about the Democratic National Convention, all right? It happened. Maybe you saw it. Maybe you skipped it. Maybe you caught the highlights. Uh, We're going to dig into it and what what it was like, what it means also for the future, and uh, what we think of this big old tent party. It's a pretty big tent. Very big. Um, and then we're gonna be looking forward to the, the circus tent over yonder, the Republican National Convention, we got some predictions. I am with two wonderful people, um, Aaron Ryan from Hysteria, and Nomiki Const from The Nomiki Show, are here to break it down with me. I can't imagine two better guests to do this job. Oh my god, I'm so excited. But before we jump in, um, if you're watching on YouTube, that's a place to be, make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you like, make sure you hit the little bell. Also, you guys, we donate a portion of the generous tips that you give this show uh, to help it keep going. You know, just tugging along, just rowing one paddle. Uh, You can tip us at TBR-Live on Venmo, TBR-Live on Cash App. And this week we are donating a portion of those generous tips um, to uh, Farmworkers COVID-19 Pandemic Relief Fund, uh, part of HIP Give, which is helping keep farmworkers and families safe from COVID as they are feeding us every damn day. And yeah, we owe it to them to protect them. Thank you for feeding us. I'm These apocalyptic videos and photos of farm workers working in California despite the fires and smoke, they're still out there. Uh, it's the least we can do. They're one of the most affected communities in this pandemic. In this pandemic, in this time that we are all indoors, that we are sheltering, that the rest of the world is getting back to outdoor concerts and um, or not even like indoor concerts. Hell, they're doing indoor concerts. Uh, we... We have to be here. We have to be at home by ourselves. And that's perpetually what we should always be bitching about. But before I get too far down uh, into my my Sunday brain, I want to bring in my guests. Uh, she is the host of the, the Nomiki Show, founder and board director of Matriarch, the first organization focused on supporting working-class women running for Congress. Previously, she was a correspondent for The Young Turks, host of The Filter on XM. She was also a national surrogate for Bernie Sanders and a member of the DNC Unity Reform Commission. Please welcome Nomiki Konst. You said it
1: right. I, I did. I just want to package that and, like, put it out there for the world to learn. I wanted to
0: stick the landing... <laughs> so I just really just know me key. You
1: need an accent on the okay. eye. That's all. But you can speak another language. I noticed that when someone has is multilingual, they're more mm. uh, conscious of accents and and words that like multisyllabic words, more than two syllables, essentially, because that's where things get mixed up. It's, it's very simple. It's no me key. Yeah, but like somewhere in the mix. <laughs>
0: He's Somewhere in the off. mix is like I gotta put this into my English brain. It's true. It's uh, I actually kind of feel like I'm bilingual in Spanish, but I feel like for a, when I started getting really bilingual, I felt like I was leaving my English behind. So I actually <laughs> just spoke third grade Spanish and English.
1: Oh, so, like yeah, I was just yes. I just sounded
0: dumb in both <laughs> languages. Like, there's that moment.
1: To... <laughs> <laughs> you're just a fair. You're just making sure everything's equitable. Yeah, you don't want to leave your, your English speakers
0: hanging. But honestly, it's we're in a Trumpian times. I'm yeah. a fucking genius compared to our yes. president, so I don't care. No. Uh, our, our next guest is the host and ex- executive producer of Crooked Media's podcast, Hysteria, a contributor to The Daily Beast, and a TV writer. Please welcome Erin Gloria Ryan.
2: Hello, guys. Good to see you. I guess I should say girls. Ladies? Women? Human gals, women. please. Gals. G-A-L-Z. Hi.
0: Yeah, gals um, with a lift a heart somewhere in puffy paint around the word
2: totally totally
0: (laughs) I definitely feel like when someone refers to me like if it's a dude saying ladies I'm like no (laughs) but if it's a woman it's fine
2: no chiller if a woman is like hey ladies I'm like whatever instructions follow I trust opposite if it's if it's a man doing it it's like I'm calling the authorities (laughs) to have you removed from where you are (laughs) It's usually followed with like some ladies. This is how I want you to dress, or ladies. This is how I wish you spoke. It's just like, oh, dude, find the clitoris and then get back to me. Yeah,
0: (laughs) ladies, where are they? You guys, we start off this show in the same way. Uh, Aaron, you've been on the show before. No, Miki, you have not, but it's a pretty simple premise. Basically, what are you bitching about? now. And I'd like everyone who's watching, and if you're listening, think about it. You know, what is your special little anger place today? There's So many pockets to choose from. Erin, um, what are you bitching about?
2: So much. So much. <laughs> um, but the main thing that I've been bitching about, okay, so I, I went to the University of Notre Dame, which is a college that is doing a really piss poor job of protecting the students and the people who work there from COVID-19. I believe there was 147 cases at the point they decided to cancel in-person classes. Anyway, I've been like kind of following around, following along with the Notre Dame saga for, you know, these last few months. And there's a lot of other colleges that thought that they would be able to bring students back to campus also. You know, like maybe we can do the thing that everybody tried to do and fail and we won't be the one to fail. (laughs) But
0: we're an elite uh, university.
2: (laughs) It's Seriously, it's like Sideshow Bob with the Parking for the rake. They're just tripping on like, you know, tripping on this rake getting hit in the face. Well, nope, I won't get hit in the face by a rake. Anyway, so the university um, called all the students back to class, uh, contrary to anything that seems reasonable. Um, and people got sick. People got sick at the University of North Carolina. People got sick at uh, Cornell, I believe. People have gotten sick all over the place. And the reason they're getting sick is because colleges and universities are greedy bastards. Greedy bastards trying to bleed students dry, trying to saddle them with debt before they're old enough to know any better. It already costs $50,000 a year to go to Harvard. When you realize that it's all just sort of a, like, certificate program that your parents pay for and you get to party the whole time, it kind of takes some of the luster out of college. I find colleges to be exceptionally greedy, and the last few years have really exposed that with, like, NCAA and the way that they mistreat athletes, the way that they mistreat workers. This has just been really colleges showing their ass. I've been so mad about this. I've been really mad about um, colleges that have gone entirely virtual also because students are not getting a tuition break. So DeVry's
0: I, like, yo, we were here first. <laughs> honestly. University <rushing> of
2: Phoenix, <laughs> Phoenix, yes, Phoenix, Phoenix.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, Trump University. Really? They just were ahead They're of like, their time. Trump
0: University is so uh, sad that they oh, got God God. found out like, before this. No.
2: Exactly. in <laughs> con- con- plan. <laughs> Um, But you know, there are a lot of colleges that went totally virtual, which I think from a public health standpoint is great. But from a finance standpoint is shitty because in a lot of cases they're not cutting tuition. I think if you're a college, you're charging students full tuition, and you're not having students on campus, you better be paying every single person that cleans toilets at that campus, every single person that works in a cafeteria with no students in it, you better be paying every single worker on that yeah. campus, their full salary. You better not be laying off fucking anybody. Otherwise, you should be giving students a break in their tuition. I've, I've read like 10% breaks. I've read bigger breaks than that. Another thing I want to bitch about on this, I'm sorry. This is like- Oh, please. And another thing. Um, I've been reading a lot of takes and I think that sometimes people get taken up by the take machine and, and they go into a debate with uh, already being biased by an, an interested, interested party in the debate. So this is an example of this happening. Um, I've been seeing a lot of people like sending around memes like damn students, can't you just not go to parties? Students, oh, they're, doing, they're going to off-campus parties and they're, they're causing this problem. No, you know who's causing this problem? Colleges and universities that invited a bunch of people with underdeveloped prefrontal cortexes back to campus and expected <laughs> them not to go out and party. Dude, yeah. you guys had the ability to not have this happen. You invited them back. You cannot expect college students students, to not party. No. It is ridiculous. Colleges are on my shit list. I think, you know. Yeah,
0: they're like, you guys have seen their bongs when they moved in here to begin with. <laughs> Do not allow them to go back to school. No, that's so, I mean, the tuition debate is, is really where it's at. Because they, like a lot of industries, are loath to give up. Any, an inch, and you're absolutely right. If they are making any kind of layoffs, that is absolutely unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, these are, this is the other thing I was just reading today, that actually young people are spreading COVID faster than anybody else. So, there you go. Even more compounded by, you know, colleges wanting to
1: reopen. Um, No, Miki, what are you bitching about? Man, it's so funny, because I... I wanted to bitch about schools, believe it or not, uh, and, it's, it's, and it's crazy that you brought this up because right, prior to this podcast, I was working with one of our researchers from Matriarch who is working, I don't want to give away her whole story, but she's on campus right now, and she's telling me the entire story about she's, in, in, you know, she's at a public school, a, a great institution, great public school, she's in the dorms right now, and she's getting ready to start school, and she was talking about how for her senior classes, she's... You know, she's going to some of them in person, and we talk through all the dynamics. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, like, listen, I'm a 36 year old woman. You put three drinks in me, I sometimes forget to put my own mask on, and we're sitting here outside. Like, you, you're, you're not developed. Like, I, you, this is insane. This is absolute insanity. And she's talking through the costs and how distance learning they've, they've capped it at her school, but at other schools in her state, they're actually increasing tuition. And it's so crazy that you brought this up because. Just prior to this call, I went on a whole rant with her about how this is this is an effort to privatize schools. What they're going to do, whether it's public schools, a high school, public, um, you know, non college schools, uh, it's it's all an effort to privatize. And and what we saw, I, Francesca, you know this. Um, I worked in Puerto Rico after the storm, and there was a very a serious effort by the Trump administration by Betsy DeVos to work with the existing government in puerto rico to shut down over three quarters of the public schools on the island mm-hmm. and effectively say well we can't afford them uh we're going to chart turn turn the rest into charter schools um and they used all sorts of excuses people left the island which they were pushing folks to do uh they couldn't afford the teachers and it's part of a pattern it's part of a cycle in which they do this with public institutions at all levels. The goal is to maximize profits, to exploit uh, young people and families who really don't have a choice, um, and the government resources to make sure that these institutions, which contribute to the vibrancy of our economy, contribute to the vibrancy of our workforce, contribute to our ability to, quote-unquote, compete with other countries, um, you know, it, it, it's it's an old tale. But that's not what I wanted to bitch about. I just wanted to echo. What I do want to bitch about uh, is much minor... <laughs> I, it's been under my skin this week. Um, You know, we've seen a couple of instances with progressive challengers in which centrists, establishment members who are clearly like losing, uh, whether it's Cori Bush or others, uh, they're using cancel culture as a weapon against progressives. And I know cancel culture is very controversial, but I'm bringing this up because I think we as a movement need to be very conscious of the fact that sometimes uh, the centrists will will find a thing, true or untrue, mm-hmm. and it'll be illustrated in maybe controversial press or blog or online. And it's used as a weapon against the challenger at a moment when that challenger might be at risk of of, of beating the incumbent. I'm using right. Alex Morse as an example. The New York Times today did a great expose on how there was some information that was misreported and not fact-checked, and it was pushed through the establishment. So, yeah, that's my little under-the-skin
2: I believe I believe that's called a rat fuck. When yes, a story right. gets when a story gets <laughs> out, that's a Karl Rovian move. When a it when a story is like released into the press that is much worse than the truth, the truth is like a less bad version of something. Um Katie Hill, for example, got rat yes, fucked. Absolutely. Um, that's a great example. Uh John Kerry got a little bit rat fucked. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's an old dirty trick and it is. it's so frustrating that it's so effective. Like yeah, I, what is the remedy for a rat fuck? I I have no idea.
0: I'm bitching about um People who forgot about Bush, yo. Yo, Motherfuckers act like they forgot about Bush whenever you talk about Obama. Uh, This is my thing. Obama gave a very good speech this week, I'm not gonna lie. And when I mentioned that I missed someone who could show basic empathy, uh, I got clobbered for it because uh, drone strikes, Yemen, et cetera, and all of the things that I know. (laughs) I know very, very well all of the critiques and the righteous and the important critiques of Obama. I'm talking about, like, bare, minimum, uh, surface BS empathy. That's all I mean. Um but i think a lot of people who just got politicized because they put all of their hope in obama and they got politicized mm, circa 2012 2010 you know when when they felt like obama wasn't sort of living up to everything like those folks love to judge and like turn around and be like but obama was the worst honey i came i came up during bush and like that's not even you know some people came up during reagan like uh Bush started two wars, okay, and it's created the entire structure of ICE that, yes, Obama absolutely implemented and carried forward and deported more people than Bush did, but the drone program right now, for example... We don't even know how many people have been droned because the Trump administration has straight up gotten rid of the accounting for how many drone strikes, but they believe that there's been about 2,500 drone strikes in four years of Trump versus about 1,800 under Obama. So, look. Your girl wanted John Edwards, straight up. I'm not going to lie. I fucking like that dude. He was good on unions. He was good on working class. But, like, you know, I didn't want Hillary, and I, I, but I was definitely better with Obama. He ran on an anti-war platform. He did get us out of Iraq. Uh, got hammered by the right for it. Uh, and, like, it's just, it's just the... No one is trying to resuscitate Obama the way they're trying to resuscitate... What I'm saying is, I'm not trying to resuscitate Obama like someone would resuscitate Bush. Does that make sense? Like, don't collapse them into the same person, because they're very much not the same person. Um, and I think we need a more honest understanding of Obama's actual legacy when it, when it comes, uh, when in, it, when it, like, looking at it from the left. Um, because right now we're just like, well, anything that happened back then was all the same. It's not true.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what we need is nuance, and people just really have no ability or willingness to process nuance right now. It's like easier to make an absolute statement in one direction or the other. Either somebody is perfect, somebody is literally Beyonce, or (laughs) they're literally Satan. There's nothing in between Satan and Beyonce. I think in the way that people like talk about public figures, and it's it does get really frustrating.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, we we it's very frustrating because. A lot of what, and I'm not an Obama apologist, I've been very critical of him. I mean, we had Matt Solar on our show this week, and we tried to get into the weeds a little bit about this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a very uncomfortable conversation in different moments, but we have to be comfortable in that discomfort of having conversations about people's legacies and the nuance and understanding that, yes, Barack Obama did appoint Tim Geithner and a slew of, of, of wall street folks within the first couple of of weeks of solving the financial crisis instead of a Joseph Stiglitz, but on this, and and he was a pro charter school president, but on the same end, George W. Bush wanted to like dismantle the public education system, uh, eliminated the EPA research department and like, like, and, and, and Ellen has the nerve to go and like, Go to baseball games with him and and pretend like he was so much better because he was decent. I mean, was he decent? No. Yeah. Like I want to seat in the Senate. Was he decent? No, this is where we developed hyper partisanship. Literally, the 2000 election, as we all know, very, very well, was where the most. Well, maybe it was under Clinton. I shouldn't say that. But it was really exacerbated into in the 2000s and beyond the aughts. And, and Barack Obama did inherit that. He inherited Fox News, constantly belittling him, constantly calling him a, for, a foreigner, not a, not a native, uh, constantly questioning his presidency. And, of course, that was coded in racism, which facilitated the Tea Party. So yeah. I'm not justifying what Barack Obama did in some aspects. Every president has criticisms. I'm going to guess even Bernie Sanders probably wouldn't go in there as a perfect president, and we know the man. Uh, it's just... What happens when you inherit institutions? There are people in that have institutional knowledge, and the left really hasn't run any institutions in the last, you know, since ever, right? Really, absolutely. In my yeah. opinion,
0: and I, I, I love the analysis. I forgot who said, but it's sort of just like the reason the left has to fight for institutions is because we actually need them. Like we believe in them if we actually yeah. want equity, if we want racial justice, like we're going to have to fight for these institutions that have bad track records, you know, mm-hmm. and that we don't believe in and that maybe we want to dismantle like ICE ultimately. Right. Um, but we have to actually, those are spheres to vie for and um, to fight for. We're going to move to our next segment um, because There's so much going on in the world. I wanted to cherry pick just four news stories that I think, if you miss them, I will rehash them for you right now. Um, This is the week where. Hey, all right. This is the week where. The year 2020 got bored with the pandemic and decided to kick the apocalypse up a notch with a heat wave and dry lightning storms in California that have led to hundreds of wildfires and hazardous smoke. And now a simultaneous hurricane and tropical storm in the Gulf Coast. Um, Also in California, apparently firefighting crews have been decimated because incarcerated people who are paid nothing to fight them aren't able to help this time because they're dealing with COVID. And honestly, you know you're on the wrong side of history when, like, even Mother Nature is a prison abolitionist. Like, <laughs> That's what she's saying to us. Let them all free. Gavin didn't talk about that
1: in his little speech, though. Governor Gavin. You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of amazing because, like, you started off by saying we got so bored with 2020, we had to up it up at a notch. I feel like that is it's like a perfect symbol for this internet 24 second news culture. Like, like we can't keep focus on anything, anything like we can't keep focus on the fact that we have fascism rolling in that every day Donald Trump has to like, like up it another. I mean, it's so, it's so egregious. Like every day someone's getting arrested and put Steve Bannon, like the architect of his messaging went to, you know, is, is arguably in jail. Like he's going to be let out but for parole but like probably unfortunately based on the legal experts that have gone on cnn and told us what was happening but it's like a 24 second news cycle and none of this stuff is sticking this is insanity guys mm-hmm. like the world is on fire the world is underwater they're sick we're s- supposed to be covered in masks we're being held inside and none of it is sticking and there's uprisings and uh, what what is it gonna take
2: i mean i think i think part of it is um I think part of it is just the nature of the way newsrooms have to try to get audiences now. Like having worked in a few newsrooms, um, you know, with with good ethics and like that are working really well, I've also worked in places that have had more of a click-based goal. And so the thing is like, you know, newsrooms are sort of like whatever gets eyeballs, you know? And so if today people are really fired up Pun intended about the wildfires. Um, we're going to do a bunch of stories about wildfires, and then tomorrow maybe people are going to stop clicking on them so much. So maybe what else do we cover? What else? What gets people watching? What keeps people watching? And a casualty of that is that you know news is entertainment, and it's not entertaining to follow a like hundreds of years long arc about the destruction of the environment. It's important, but it's not entertaining. And it's really hard no, to. Not after the
0: koalas in Australia. I'm like, I never want to see that again.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That was a. I noped out of that one. I was like, nope,
0: uh. nope. <laughs> Can't. Apparently, we're asking oh, Australian firefighters to come over and help in California, and I just want them to send little koalas with like firefighting hats and like hoses. Oh. Obviously, oh, wow. that would be dangerous, but in my mind, that's where. It will be. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Very sad. Uh, I'm going to move on one.
0: because we've got a lot to cover. This was also the week where the post office mm-hmm. continued to recruit brave sycophants like postmaster general Louis DeJoy, who testified to Congress this week and denied there was any deliberate plan to stop voting by mail lamenting that quote, we all feel bad about what the dip in the level of service has been, which sounds about as sincere as saying, we all feel bad that my wife is the victim of domestic violence. Um, the House passed an emergency $25 billion funding for the post office, and uh, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows says that the president will only sign in if it includes other benefits, like enhanced employment um, benefits or an extension of the Payment Protection Program, like the HEROES Act passed 100 days ago by the House, which the president admitted he wouldn't sign because it included money for the post office and mail-in voting was going to do. Uh, like. This gaslighting is on a whole other level. Like, I feel like if Trump loses the election, the entire right wing will be like, Who's Donald Trump?
1: Isn't that Mitch McConnell's thing? (laughs) (laughs) No, he wasn't. Yeah.
0: You mean mean, Mitch?
2: He'll get treated
0: like really weird right now. What do you mean, President Trump? He wasn't
2: what? He'll get treated like how Donald Trump tweets every single member of his administration to get arrested, where he's like, you know what? Barely knew him. We're Facebook friends for like a week. And it's about Paul Manafort, like the guy who ran his fucking campaign. Steve Bannon, who like, you know, was his his buddy who would, like Steve Bannon was essentially like the guy who would, you know, in like, in movies when there's like a bully and a bully has a posse, there was always like the vice bully who stood behind and was like, get him boss, get him. Yeah, yeah, very ugly. (laughs) Get him. He yeah. was like
1: secretly orchestrating behind the scenes, to, like right. set it up.
2: Right. Yeah. He would stand there and go like this. You know, like he's like whatever.
0: the Smee to like the Captain Hook.
2: Totally, <laughs> totally. Or like all the Scott Farkas uh, like associates and of Scott Farkas from a Christmas. Oh, Story. My God. But, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But he like Bandon was there the whole time, and you know, he was like uh, he he fired him up, like he kind of lit the pop, like the, the quasi-nationalist populist. Fire under Trump, and now Trump's pretending they don't know him. I think if Trump loses, yeah, there's going to be a whole, whole bunch of unfollowings uh, on social media.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's going to lose a lot of followers on social. That should be the whole entire campaign. <laughs>
2: That's
1: going to get under his skin.
2: Unfollowing. I mean,
1: if yeah, I, but what is that like? If he loses, he'll violate like, the New York Post, like fight off Rupert Murdoch and try to, declare, or he'll just be in jail. Who knows? I mean, the crazy thing about Steve Bannon, he took he he was a, you know essentially ejected, quote unquote ejected, but I think obviously was still in communication, just like Roger Stone was still in communication with the Trump administration. But he went off to Europe, set up this monastery in Italy. Do you remember this? He set up mm-hmm. this monastery to train right wingers to run and win right wing spots in the EU. He failed miserably. It doesn't mean he's going to stop because like he injected that that sickness, and I'm sure it's, it is spreading. It's spreading in Italy. It's spreading in other countries in the U. Um, Poland, for instance. I mean, he wanted to create a global right-wing fascist empire and he yeah. had no qualms about it. Like,
2: what? So I uh, kind of have a funny story about that. Uh, Steve Bannon and I have been in touch for like reporting purposes. And um, he, he returned, he would return my emails for a few years. If I emailed Steve Bannon, I think I'd be I like, remember yeah, you? How,
0: this, That's very scary.
2: Yeah. So there was a period of time when he was doing this thing in Europe and he sent me an email because every time I would write something trashing Ivanka on the Daily Beast, he would be like, great article because he like hates, hates Jared and Ivanka. And uh, so he would write write me about like my anti Ivanka article and I'd be like, what are you up to, Steve? And he told me one time, like, I'm, you know, I'm in Italy right now. Somebody has to spread it wasn't gospel. Some somebody has to spread the message of nationalism to our brothers and sisters in Europe. And I responded, they tried that already. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like famously. They tried it. It it went poorly, Steve. Um <laughs> what, what do you, you say? Know. Which <laughs> nation though? Which nation, Aaron? Europe. Like, general Europe, the normal parts of someone's Europe.
0: gotta he the dude was eating. Uh, pasta on like in the Amalfi Coast, my man, it was just BSing you. There, that is, he was on a fucking gondola. Um, but speaking yeah. of Bannon, because you guys brought it up, even though there's been a war on the post office, this is the week where the post office so great back, so good. This <laughs> is the week where the post office struck back against Trumpism, an elite armed unit within the USPS called USPIS. Came to collect junk mail, Steve Bannon, former Trump <laughs> national advisor, arresting him on charges of fraud, specifically using a GoFundMe account called We Build the Wall that had raised $25 million and built three miles of wall, uh, not including the new wall it built on Bannon's second home. Uh, very nice marble. Um, Steve Bannon was apprehended on a 150 foot yacht at the time, and his look very much answered the question, what if the lung from anti-tobacco commercials was stirred from retirement on the Cape? Like, with, uh, and, like honestly, with the look that he had, I'm surprised he wasn't raising money on GoFundMe for what everyone else does on GoFundMe uh, chemotherapy, because um, his soul needs it. Uh, Bannon was arrested along with three other grifters, and just for a sense of who these people are, um, one of them started an energy drink called Winning Energy <laughs> with a logo that has Donald Trump on it. Um, very strong. <laughs> and it says it says on the, the can, 12 ounces of liberal tears. Ah, yeah. It also- drink comes so water? Drink.
2: That's not potable, idiots. Yeah,
0: no, no, no. It's straight from the source. Um, it's, uh. it also has, there's like other flavors, apparently. One of them is uh, Migrant Blood Orange. Oh, stop and, it. And Presidential Come. The last one's like a working title, though. I feel like that's your working title. <laughs> Both of them are. This is the like, Franny tries to make jokes. I believe
1: portion. the sign part would be theirs if they had a choice. <laughs> migrant Blood Orange is good. That's a really clever one and believable.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm so torn about this story because, on one on one hand, yes, I am in favor of Steve Bannon being arrested. But on the other hand, I'm in favor of racists trying to donate their own money to build a wall to keep immigrants out getting swindled. So, right. like, in a way, Steve Bannon was doing a good deed by taking their money <laughs> and not using it for anything. But the good deed shouldn't have been buying himself a boat. That's where he went wrong. If Bannon had been Robin Hooding that shit and been using right. it to donate to, like, Help like legal aid for Spread migrants.
0: nationalism in Europe.
2: Exactly. <laughs> no, if you were like secretly good the whole time. If you were like a, uh, like a kind of um, like a. I mean, I hate using Harry Potter references because read another book, but everybody understands them. But like, who <laughs> was like a Snape, like pretending to be bad, and then you know at the very end he turns. Oh, he became out. good. Yeah, yeah, I remember oh, that guy. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah, so it's like yes, I, I am glad he got arrested. I'm. I hope that he ends up having to serve time in jail. Um and I am in favor of of like depopulating the prisons except for members of the Trump administration. I think they should be the ones that live in in prison. And if you quit on your own you should have to live on prison island for like a penance period of time. But yeah, it's a it's a complicated story with a lot of twists and turns and prison all of them island. are all are hilarious. Yeah.
1: Which, but it should be a reality show in which none of them make any money and only the migrants that they've put in cages that are trying to reunite with their families get all the the proceeds from and that would be the best reality show ever that would be amazing. amazing and bannon i mean that's the crazy thing about bannon that people forget i know you guys know it's like he was actually part of hollywood <laughs> like a very legitimate member of the hollywood establishment and it's mind-blowing me to like he i feel like he I was the one who was always going to get away with a oh very legitimate like well, like all of
0: his movies were like he owns a little bit of science, I thought and then his omi his movies are like Hillary Clinton, the
1: untold story. Like Hillary Clinton. It's like Dinesh D'Souza. Yeah. No, he did, he did real stuff. He did like he he was like a Breitbart. Breitbart like floated in the real circles, like Ariana Huffington. It was that little tribe of whatever they were at that time. No, but he he made a lot of money. And when I was at Serious XM, this is during his turn. I had a, a progressive show on Sirius XM progress from 9 p.m. till midnight mm-hmm. and across the hall, literally across the hall was Steve Bannon's conservative show from 9 p.m. till 12 p.m. Midnight. So we were like the two shows yes, on we both we had have a way horrible so hour contact with Steve Bannon. Yeah, we did actually yeah. we had the same manager too. It was not a fun experience, mm-hmm. um, but that was during 2016 and he was secretly advising the Trump administration. And I was, not so secretly advising the Bernie administration. It was crazy town. It was That's like crazy. Did you guys ever talk? Yeah. He was just a crusty old man. He wanted me on his show. I don't think I ever wanna know everyone on a show. He whatever, he's just like a, but bottom line is it's like he operated in, in these circles, and we can't discount the fact that the right wing, the Trump administration, and beyond, and these people who are defecting have been a real part of neoliberal circles until Trump was elected. And so yeah. You know, I thought that he would be able to, and I think Aaron knows way more about this than I do, but I, I always thought that he would be able to to buy in a way that, that Manafort didn't because Manafort was sort of like pushed out. And Steve Bannon was like the one who knew more, the one who like knew enough not to create some sort of, you know, uh, a fake fundraising scheme that like, and then buy a yacht immediately after. Like. You thought he was like
0: the good racist, the, the like,
1: Like lawyers basically
0: aren't white supremacists, you know. Uh, moving on, this was also the week where, speaking of prison and rich people avoiding it or going to it, a judge sentenced actress Lori Laughlin to two months in prison and her husband to five months in uh for her um call for the college scandal for her actually trying to buy her daughter. A ticket into USC. They give it out as tickets. I'm sure you guys have applied to college. Um, and the judge who, gave, who came down with this decision basically eviscerated her. Um, judge Nathaniel Gorton said, quote, Here you are, an admired, successful actor with a long lasting marriage, with two healthy, resilient children, more money than you could possibly need, a fairy tale life, yet you stand before me a convicted felon. And for what? for the inexplicable desire to grasp even more. He went on. Whatever happened to predictability? The milkman, the paperboy, the evening TV. How did you get delivered here? Somebody tell me, please. Because this old world is just really confusing me. (laughs) Everywhere you look, everywhere you go, Uh. there's a grift (laughs) and someone in a jumpsuit. Everywhere you go, that's you, Lori. Okay, uh, he didn't actually say that.
1: But. Dude, um, she's so rich. She's so rich. Her husband is like a 100%. major designer. Yeah, it's insane. And like, I feel bad for like Joni Sweden. Joni Sweden's like, I finally got my, my, my career back. You know, give me another shot. They canceled the whole show. Poor John Stamos has to go and like, you know, sell yogurt again. Like oh appear at Greek Greek events and just like headline them.
2: Um, the thing that I find the funniest about this story is that her kid didn't really seem interested in going to college. She was no. interested in being like an Instagram influencer, makeup tutorial, like two camera, like ma- like quick cuts, kind of a millennial era shortcut star. And her, her being at USC wasn't even really about the kid. I feel like in a lot of these stories, it wasn't about the kid. It's about the parents validating their parenting by getting their children into a place that indicates that they didn't fuck up and they did they're trying to like buy their way out of the fact it's like you raised a shithead sorry your yeah. kid's a shithead yeah, um, yeah exactly
0: and they're like but maybe with enough money they'll get a better like well that's what most that listen that's why college should be free it's like you go there to get a personality you know and and like get some depth <laughs> and get some character despite those first years being a little difficult and you wanting to party amidst a pandemic
2: I mean, I do think that it is ironic that we're sending people to prison now for buying their kids way into colleges, which are increasingly resembling prisons. It Uh, does feel like, you know, irony.
0: I think that you should just send the whole family to prison. You know, there's college credits in there. Um, let's swap them out. Do a prisoner exchange. We'll get some, yeah, some, you know, some incarcerated people who've got like firefighting skills. Get them out. is they'll join the firefighter, uh, firefighting squad. They'll be in a union. They've got all these skills. Put the Laughlin family in there, yeah, mm-hmm. or the whatever the hell their family's called. And, and uh, It's a perfect trade. Um, We got one more story, and we have to zoom through this because apparently we're talking about the DNC
2: sometime,
0: at some point. That's Mm -hmm. over. Um, (laughs) It's over. What else? Uh, This was also the week where NASA reported that an asteroid is headed toward Earth. Please. (laughs) <laughs> before the U.S. election.
1: <laughs>
0: Come on. Uh, Dear God, God course, I haven't talked in a while. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, apparently, though, the chances of an impact are less than 1%. Yeah, okay. That's what they said about Donald Trump winning the presidency. There we, go. NASA Nate Silver, okay? Vote early, people, and wear a helmet when you do, just in case. Um, you guys, that was the oh week where... <laughs> The biggest news item of the week was the democratic national convention um democratic presidential nominee joe biden formally accepted the nomination to be the guy who's going to try to beat donald trump the convention took place virtually over the course of four days it was not glitchy unlike this show amazing it's like we've got the same budget as mm. what um mm-hmm. it almost made uh it a little more uh actually maybe like made it less human i felt like if it had some glitches it would have been like Little, you know, just a little rough around the edges like this show. Hella human. Um, I watched every night. I paid attention to about 60 percent of it. Um, it was really diverse. I like that a lot, um, uh, even though there were noticeably uh, absent Muslim and Latino voices. AOC gave a great speech, spoke about 21st century social programs and guarantees. Bernie spoke and I get, think, it you know, uh, it was a really powerful speech. And I think this line was incredibly powerful, which he said, if Donald Trump is reelected, the progress progressive movements have made will be in jeopardy. It wasn't the exact line, but essentially, like we've made so much progress, imagine how much can be undone with four more years of Trump. Um, The old thing was pretty sanitized, very much an establishment infomercial. And by the end you're like, okay, I get it. Joe Biden's a good guy. (laughs) I get, I think. I'm sorry, I think you might be a decent human being. Is that what I'm being told (laughs) to say? Um, And of course it ended with very surreal fireworks display, Joe and Jill, Kamala and Doug, watching, uh, masked, watching these fireworks. Um, I wanted to dig in just overall impressions quickly, highs, lows, Uh, Aaron, what do you, what did you think?
2: Well, I was actually surprised by how much I didn't hate it. Um, the, the last last DNC I was in Philly for it, which is a totally different experience than watching it on TV. Um, I was covering the last two Republican conventions. And so it felt like a real luxury to be on my couch and be like, ooh, these pants are not like business pants. I'm just enjoying myself. So that was nice from the perspective of somebody who was like consuming it. Yeah. Um, I was pleasantly surprised when I saw the lineup, I was a little bit nervous because it seemed like, um, like centrists and Republicans were getting their own convention, uh, when I first saw the lineup, but I was, I I saw, you know, with the regular people, the non-political people that they featured, that that wasn't actually the case. It felt like a very diverse convention. Um, I thought that Kamala Harris and Joe Biden both gave speeches that were as good of speeches as we could have hoped for from either of them. They were just at the top of their game, both of them. Um, a thing that I thought was lacking is okay. I am to like like everybody here. <laughs> I'm to the left of Joe Biden, Biden politically. My hope is that the Democratic Convention, being so focused on winning centrist voters, was thinking about centrist voters like how I think about them, which is like a means to an end. Right? We get Joe Biden in there, and then we hang out with him enough to convince him to agree with us and like inject more progressive programs into his agenda. Mm-hmm. My fear is that the people that are being used, and this is, again, a fear based based on nothing but past experience. My fear is that the people that are getting, my fear is that the omission of progressives indicates that their vote will be taken for granted in a Biden administration, because it's like, well, what else are you guys going to have? You know, instead of taken as like a, a a complete center of what needs to drive the administration. I don't want progressives to be shoved out of the room in favor of having Bill Kristol in there. So my fear, my, my hope is that this is like, let's just get as many people into the tent as possible. And then, you know, after election day, we weed down the tent to the people that actually did the work to get him into the office. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to make like, you know, big diagnostic sweeping statements. And I know that's like bad punditry. But I, I'm choosing to be hopeful because I have to be hopeful up until yeah. the election because hope is what is going to allow me to do any work whatsoever. Um, but I do think we should be wary that we cannot accept being pushed to the side. We cannot accept being backburnered. Um, yeah. And I, I'm hoping that's not the case.
0: Yeah, no, Miki, you have had more inside um Inside perspective on democratic platforms, the DNC. I think Aaron and I have covered them in our way, Um, skipping highs and lows because we don't have enough time for this conversation, which is so sad. But uh, a couple things happened, right? One was that the Democratic uh, National uh, Committee dropped fossil fuels, ending fossil fuel subsidies from their platform like a few days before the convention began. Um, and also, we know that Medicare for All is not on the, um, not part of their platform either. Despite a, like, you know, A.D. Barkin speaking, he did not mention Medicare for All, but he definitely said he wanted to put a bill in front of Biden to actually give healthcare to all people. What do you make of what Aaron's saying about given given the way that the, the convention was so establishment and given like some of these already kind of like pulling back on their progressive um, commitments, like what are your hopes for a Biden administration?
1: I, I, I can't talk about the hopes for the Biden administration without looking at previous situations in which uh, progressives had leverage. Mm-hmm. And I say progressive specifically because there was a real progressive force in two candidates, three candidates, whoever, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just leave it at Bernie, second place. Real real leverage, he won the first three primaries and caucuses. Uh, no person in the history of the Democratic Party since we've had primaries has won the first three without winning the nominations. So he had real leverage. Um, and you know he had leverage on the platform, but as someone who's been on the platform committee, I will tell you the platform is a piece of paper. No Democrat is forced to run on the platform. Yes. So the fact that the DNC had to take uh, the fossil fuel a platform item and change it, which did not happen through a vote. By the way, it happened through the chair's decision making. Right. um That's meaningless. That's just stuff that like gets a news peg and it's bad news for the DNC. So I don't even know why they do it, other than the fact that they are essentially being controlled by their donors. I mean, like that's just what this is. It's it's a dance between donors, and so I think as as, as progressives, we need to remember that the progressive movement, at least in my opinion, is is the movement that is representing working people, which is what the Democrats did not get out in 2016. We can talk about, I hear lots of things, millennials, white women, blah, 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 Republicans. They were trying to turn Republican women against husbands in 2016. At the end of the day, working people, families making under $50,000 a year, turned out at a 20% less number, Democratic voters, than Obama. And Obama did better than than the Democrat carry uh, before, yeah. so we have been losing working people since Obama, and it's not white working people; it's all working people. Yes, except for Latinos, which which is a unique situation because the population has grown quite a bit um, in terms of voting members. So, what the Democrats chose this week was a small group of potential Republicans who are flipping on Trump that have no record of flipping on Republicans. In exchange for not speaking to working people. So what I would have liked to see in this convention is union leaders like the teachers union, Randy Weingarten, who's appeared at several Democratic conventions, endorsed Hillary Clinton, uh, the postal workers union, Mark Dimenstein,
0: uh, Sarah Nelson,
1: from the flight attendants workers and the nurses union. These are gimmies. These are obvious gimmies, not just union members, but union leaders who usually appear at conventions, even under Obama. And they made a conscious decision to not do that. And yeah. I found that revealing. And I think that's where we have to push our pressure, put the pressure on Biden, because he's not going to have a choice. Both Biden and Kamala Harris, who I think effectively wants to be president. So 12 years from now, eight years from now, whatever it is, Um she knows, based on the demographics of this country being overwhelmingly progressive and geared towards working people policies, in the next you know, two generations, they have to respond. They have no choice at this point to respond to the needs of working people. And this yeah. was like the establishment's last stand, in my opinion. Yeah.
0: And I think that is, for me, making sure that working class issues are continually pushed in front of Biden and Kamala is how we stop fascism because I am so scared that I think we're going to get into the RNC in a little bit but I am scared that the RNC will have more quote-unquote like ordinary working people as much as they would be props complete props like I'm afraid that they're going to I I don't think they will it's just a series of you know Trump family members but (laughs) I do think that if the left if the Democratic Party not if the left. If the Democratic Party leaves behind working people, they there's been an opening. Obviously, Trump wedged himself into that opening and won an election four years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I totally think you're right. I mean, look, Colin Powell, John Kasich, Michael Bloomberg, all speaking dead air bullshit. Like, why are we having these people talking? Colin Powell and... Uh, Michael Bloomberg should be like in the dustbin of history completely. That's right. Uh, Colin Powell, Powell, Powell for selling us on the Iraq War, Michael Bloomberg for Stop and Frisk. Like, why are these people here? And yet you sort of watch the DNC and you're like, oh, maybe this isn't for me. Like, this is for, yeah, the like
2: wine drunk, like wife of a Trump voter who's like,
0: you know what? I like Jill.
2: Yeah. You know, I mean, like, I would, I would push back on the point you made about working people and say that I think that at the expense of deliberately going after working people, Democratic Party went after women who don't think of themselves as political. Like Michelle right. Obama's speech was sort of a... Uh, it, it was sort of a pace setter because she came out being like, I hate politics. I don't want to do any... you know I, I don't like this, but look, we're in danger and this fucking sucks. And right. what are we going to do about it? And I felt like every night had... A lot of things that touched on roles that women have or roles that women uh like disproportionately perform that aren't necessarily attached to their jobs so you know being mothers you know the the brayden hair uh brayden uh harrington the kid who had a stutter like that was something to me that read like it was like reaching out to people who are parents or people who have ever had to care mm-hmm. for somebody so i i'm not i'm not saying that it's it was a positive choice, but I feel like it was a choice. And it seems like the Democrats were like, this is how we're going to go after voters. We're going to go after them based on maybe gender and identity before we go in on, like, where they work and, like, the value of their labor. Um, right. and, but and-
0: it's time, right, with, yeah, these, yeah. with what's going on around us. Like like Nomiki's saying, these are easy wins. And totally. that to me was another thing is, like, there's no, like – there's nothing
1: that bold. Like there, like Biden's speech was good, but not memorable. Like, not no, there's no. It's not in history books. Not there was it's no in speech. History, in my right. opinion, like Michelle like, Obama like, included, nothing came out of that that was like, okay, we're writing that down, remembering that. This It's going
0: to be the worst depression in our like since the 1920s. This like this will be a depression. Here's the plan. You know, mm-hmm. follow. It was more like, we can do it, America.
2: Well, we you still, know what I would- you know. You know what I was bummed about was like no mention of the Supreme Court. Other people have brought this up and it's like that seems like an alley-oop that we really could have hit on. Um, Holy fuck. We have like how many members of the court are over 80 and how many of them are liberal? I think like two or three over 80 and they're all liberal. Like Jesus fucking Christ, we need this or we we are lost for a generation.
1: Yeah, And, you know, it's on that point, Senator Schumer, I remember when he spoke, I was like, why is he not talking about how the down ballot works? You guys, okay, maybe you don't care about, he doesn't say this, but maybe you don't care about Joe Biden, but show up because we can win the Senate back. We can win con- more seats in Congress. We can yeah. win city council races. They're so afraid of talking about the movement side. And that's what's concerning to me is it's like, are they asleep at the wheel? And also, as, as Francesca said, like next week, Oh, Donald Trump has to get up and say, and people believe it is, oh, cool, they took our rich Republicans. We care about you working people. Yeah, totally. All right.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's all BS. And I totally, like, we, you know, we've talked about the divide, the false divide between the white working class and people of color. And and again, be, it's so frustrating because because the Democratic Party cannot bite the donors that feed them That's and right. does not actually fundamentally believe in challenging the power of Wall Street that the identity is all that all they have. So it does feel like they trot out these toothless identity politics that really don't mean anything when it comes to, you know, defunding the police, changing uh, abolishing the prison industrial complex, abolishing ICE, truly making real changes because so much of that financial system is all wrapped up and so I'm, you know, I and these are all things that is as people on the left we should constantly be remembering and reminding one another about. But at the same time, Marissa Franco of Mi gente was on this podcast and she said something really great, which was like, how do you critique Biden and Kamala without strengthening Trump's hand, you know, and like doing this dance, threading this needle? And again, the newly politicized folks who I, I want to vote, even though I know they're voting in this bullshit system.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think one way to get Donald Trump to not pay attention to something is to write it down because, you know, he hates reading. Um <laughs> I honestly think that the people that are most willing to like burn it all down, be like, no, we have to burn it down, including Joe Biden. It doesn't matter if Trump gets elected again. Are people that don't have a ton at stake? Like we're all cisgendered women, and one thing that we have at stake is reproductive rights, you know, and and access to reproductive health care that is is under real threat in a under a Trump administration. And you know, we're relatively privileged. Cisgendered women like the the further you are removed from privilege the more you have at stake and I think as long as we critique with from a place of Instead of coming at it like this guy is all bad And this is why just this guy is good and here's how he could be better Or Mm -hmm. I think this guy's done some good things and here's how to improve on the things that he's done that are good Or here's something that has been totally overlooked and that I know that he will listen because he's demonstrated that he does listen to people, whether or not he changes, he will listen to you and be respectful of you.
0: I wanted to play. I'm like, I, th- I hope, you know, it could go either way, but but listen, I'm not, I don't want to find out. Like, I don't give a shit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say vote and vote for Biden on top of that. Um, and, and yeah, once again, just holding your nose and doing it because we, the system is is the way it is, is the way it's set up. I, I felt like Cornell West on Democracy Now! put it pretty well, and I just wanted to play this clip for you um, on this, as he said, uh, killing your illusions but keeping hope. What has happened, though, Sister Amy, is that we get in this sad spectacle that remains on the surface And yet the massive suffering and misery that's taking place is intensifying, and we're getting the unraveling of public life with the post office and a whole host of other public institutions, education, and we're getting the inability to envision a substantive alternative to the present, so we end up tied to this nightmarish reality. So yes, a vote for Biden as an anti-fascist vote. That's different. Than in any way falling prey to illusions, we have to be able to keep our hopes while we kill the illusions. And if we can't walk that tight work rope, we're not going to make it as a country. Yeah. So kill hope and keep illu- or kill illusions and keep hope. It's funny because when he first said that, I was like, Oh yeah, he's totally saying that. Like it, it, no matter where you're coming at this election from, I think he's speaking to you, right? So it's like if you are just trying to smile your way through this, and Biden's, Biden and, and Kamala are great, yeah, 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 yeah. Kill the illusion they're going to be incredible, yeah. but keep your hope that they can be better. And same thing with you know folks on the left who are like this whole thing is toxic. Look, kill your illusion that it and it was designed to be anything else, you know. But keep your hope that we can actually get in get into this beast and
1: start, you know maneuvering it from the inside. And don't ask for change. I mean, in 2016, I remember, uh, you know, we were on the Bernie campaign and a group of us got together at the convention and sat down with Hillary's senior advisors and, and tried to push her on some key policy issues that we thought were going to impact states like Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, Wisconsin. And in The Daily Beast, actually. They 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 did a big story on this, um, in which we later said we effing told them and um and they didn't listen. They didn't listen on these issues, they didn't want to invest. And I think at that point in our history, we knew the threats of Trump, we knew where Bernie had done well, and we also saw how how quickly people that that were working people, union members were interested in Bernie, but also in Trump for different reasons. And, and for a long history of reasons against the Clintons, NAFTA, also Fox News, just like berating the Clintons for like 30 years. Um, and sexism, they, they didn't, we know history now, right? But we asked, we asked the Clinton campaign to put these issues forward. And we felt we were rejected. We felt we were rejected when Ben Jealous didn't get to go out on the campaign trail and campaign for Clinton. When uh, you know Bernie had, uh, it, it was hard to like maneuver how to get Bernie to go out there and campaign for Clinton, or surrogates for Bernie like ourselves were were not looped in fully. That was mm-hmm. us asking them. We don't actually, as a movement, need to use our leverage and our capital that we've worked up in the last several years to help biden he's gonna do his thing his consultants it's a big part of this are gonna do their thing but we as a movement should be organizing on working class issues against fascism and that will play out no matter who's in the white house trump sure or burn or, or or uh joe biden and but at the same time you know
0: no, miki i hear where you're coming from but also i'm so scared because i know after 2016 so my brother and my mom uh both campaigned for Obama. They knocked doors. And I asked them, I said, I was living, uh, I was here, but I wasn't going to, you know, make calls for Hillary. Uh, But I was like, why didn't you guys make calls for Hillary? Like, why did you do it for Obama? Why didn't you do it for Hillary? Mm. Two two different answers. Very, very relatable. My mom, well, because I thought she had it in the bag. Mm. I thought she had her machinery, which is what you're saying about Biden. He's going to get his people and ice everybody else out. And, you know, she's got it. My brother said, Well, because I didn't like what she did to the Bernie campaign. So I was turned off by that. So neither inspiring progressives nor inspiring the the moderates to be like, get off your ass and get to work. You know, so I'm sort of like, I'm very, I think we're in a different moment. I know we're in a different moment. But that complacency around how do you try to embrace this party that wants you away from them so bad? How do you be like, you need our help? And they just want to push you away and say they got it. And this sort of like, I, I know a lot of leftists who are like, man, I just want to say, I told you so again, you know, but like Aaron's saying, damn dude, the privilege in co- that comes with, you know, are you a immigrant who's about to be deported? You know, right. are you someone who's in the prison, you know, in the prison system right now? Like the privilege that comes with just like, well, ha, see, the centrists got it
1: wrong. You know, it's like, we don't, we can't afford that shit. We can organize against fascism. When I say against fascism, it means guys you know, you have to vote. And I don't think anybody's going to show up and vote for Donald Trump. You have to vote because we need to win the Senate back. We need to win our our city council seats. We need to win some of these, these swing districts in Congress, despite the fact that yes, we do control Congress, but we like really need to control Congress. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that, I can't believe that message was lost in the convention. That's like, Like, that's a neoliberal message they've been saying for years. I mean, Mm -hmm. every YouTube account has this Chuck Schumer ad on it right now, talking about Mm -hmm. how they need to win the Senate. And they couldn't bring that to the Democratic (laughs) Convention. Mm -hmm. It's absolutely ridiculous. So when we say organize against fascism, against Trump, this is a movement that includes electoralism that's representative of of the fact that, like, yes, children are being held up in cages right now and being separated from their parents as infants. But what's going to stop that? Number one, having a president that is not delusional and number two having a senate that can actually push back
2: Mm -hmm. i mean i would i would piggyback on that you mentioned local and state elections and uh immense importance of winning state houses and winning local elections is something that i wish they would have brought up more during the dnc because states are basically the laboratories where they push laws forward and back with the courts stacked with conservative justices, if you have a state like I don't know, when Arizona had a supermajority of Republicans and they could just pass fucking crazy bill after crazy bill and just throw <laughs> all the crap at the wall and see what's stuck. If we limit if we eliminate the number of local and state you know municipalities or states that are able to pass batshit insane right-wing laws, then we prevent the law and court precedent from moving to the right even with a judicial branch that has been stacked by Mitch McConnell and Donald Trump. So that, I mean, that's a really important point. And I think Democrats yeah. should, should talk about that more.
0: It's funny because Nomi, you're so like, as critical as you are of the DNC, I just wish they would listen to you. Like, I'm like, <laughs> I want you back in their calling shots because you like, you of all the people that I know are like, you've seen it from the inside and you talk shit, but from a place of knowledge and I appreciate that. Um, And yet you still haven't totally given up and, which I also appreciate.
1: It takes a lot not to, Um, (laughs) it's hard, but you know, look, obviously. The platform's ruthless, but we're really close in terms of votes. And so you just got to run for local DNC positions and push the Biden administration to have a DNC chair election. That's like actually, and and reporters to cover it, frankly. I mean,
2: to bring it full circle, circle, we were talking about um, short institutional memory for people who vote on the left. And I've thought for a long time that it might be that people come in being like, I'm a progressive. And then they see how stacked it is against them and how hard it is. That's right. And they give up. And then the next generation comes in, and there's no like institutional memory. Like Bernie Sanders has the patience of a saint in order to stick with the system for as long as he's stuck with it. <laughs> okay, but
0: it the patience just, of Bernie. I,
2: honest to God, the patience of Bernie is like, you know, crazy. Um, I feel like maybe as people who have been involved in politics, interested in politics, a thing that we can do, I just as individuals, is when we come across people that are like right on the cusp of like giving up, being like, no, 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 stick. Stick around. I need you to run for, you know, a position in their local DNC chapter. I need the, I need you to like, you know, rattle cages. I need you to make a big deal out about about shit that needs to get changed. Otherwise, nothing is ever going to get changed.
0: Yeah. Couple of comments. Daniel Lee on Facebook says we need to be in the streets as much as before. They won't willingly support progressive ideas without being pushed. Uh, Andrew on YouTube says they could have raised ratings only by talking about their bowel movements. Uh, True. I mean, like, look. Halftime shows are way more interesting and uh, and surprising like than the DNC. Now I'm not saying this should be the same, but I would have wanted like, you know, if nothing else, a booby to pop out somewhere, <laughs> or some something. I I wanted to move on to our final segment. We're doing RNC predictions. The RNC is we are smack dab in the middle of these conventions. It is this week. Um, half the speakers, the keynote speakers, the main speakers are again, Trump family members, um, or married into the Trump family. Uh, we don't know. It's, it's, it's in person. It's not in person. It's in Jacksonville, Florida. No, it's not in Jacksonville. It's in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. Kind of it's in DC. It's, it's, I don't unclear. Um, it's a little bit live, a little bit virtual. I just, the three of us have been in, At conventions maybe people who are watching or listening have been at conventions can i just say that from a visceral point of view going from the dnc to the rnc is night and day when you're when you're there specifically one and and first of all there are no handicap ramps anywhere in the rnc nobody cares there's few disabled people Um, That's like just, you're looking around, there's no ramps, it's not accessible at all. Uh, Very few people of color, lots of cowboy hats, uh, bands you never heard of, but you should, because they're like local hometown, I don't know, probably being manipulated by their parents to uh, like those little kids who were singing in 2016. Um, It's just, it's so, it's like this, it it is feeling more and more like a a little bit of a clan rally, um, and I had some way. To, oh yeah, it's it's like a jingoistic parade of grifters and people with way too much Americana flair. It's like a TGI Fridays of patriotism, and like a few people are dressed as founding fathers. So very different from the DNC, is what I'm saying. Um, yep. What are your predictions for for what will happen? This RNC Trump is speaking every night, you guys. Every fucking night,
1: it's the only guy who can get ratings.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, mean- I, I, uh, oh, they each night has a theme land of promise, land of opportunity, land of heroes, land of greatness. I think they should add another night, land that belongs to other people.
2: Um, this land is made for you and me, this land is yeah. your land, this land is right. my land, etc.
1: Yeah, it's just the whole song. Yeah, they'll, they'll get sued for in that will. song. And by and by, you and me, we mean white supremacists. Um, <laughs> sure. I mean, one thing I will say. I, okay, I'm going to be Debbie Downer. In 2016, I, I you guys covered both conventions. I was on the floor of the RNC uh, on the. I mean, I think every day, but on the night especially, where uh, the general spoke. I forgot his name. I'm completely forgetting now. And it was—I remember being like, "This is absolutely bonkers." The fear, Michael Flynn, thank you, freakish. Like it was, it was, it was fear-based. And then at the DNC, you had General—I forgot the guy's name—you'll remember—and he spoke. And there were women around me who, specifically the New York section, who were supporting were Hillary delegates who were mad because they were basically promoting war. And and one in particular, one woman said, "My son died in Iraq." And she was disgusted and she sat down. She said, this is not the democratic party I know. And I know we're talking about the differences between the party, but I I remember those moments so well, because I just left the RNC and gone to the DNC and thought I could, you could have ejected me into one or the other during those two speeches in particular, which I think is essentially kind of like the overlap between the two parties in some ways. Um, With that being said, there's nothing, I I feel like there's going to be some technology issues, um, there were for for selling tickets to the uh, the Trump rally. Um, what's the craziest thing that
0: could happen, dude? Alex Jones and Don King were in the 2016 RNC. Man, I mean, did Alex speak? No, No, he didn't. But he was there and he was around. So was Don King. He could I speak. feel
2: like you can probably smell Alex Jones, and that's a weird a weird thing to say. But I feel it deeply that he smells oh, um, yeah. like aspirated supplements that people shouldn't be consuming. Um, Okay, so first of all, it's clear from all of like Trump's branding, Ivanka, or not Ivanka, I always like confuse her and the first lady, Melania's interior design aesthetic and exterior design aesthetic. And like literally every sign, every t-shirt, every graphic on Fox News, that no Republican has any friends that know how to do graphic design or are artistic in any way, shape or form. Uh, Based on their makeup and styling, their stylists hate them. I feel like it will be a very aesthetically uh, unpleasant thing to watch based on this. I, I don't think that they're, you know, look, say what you will about, you know, old, like, you know, fascist regimes. At least they had good graphic design. Old Soviet shit, incredible. Yeah. They didn't I have a, even have Canva. Man. I know. I have a poster of a, like a Soviet poster of an astronaut and it's awesome. And he's saying, no, God. Um, but, you know, the, th- the thing about the RNC is it's like it's going it's to not be as well planned as the DNC because they finally stopped fucking the chicken of doing a live event only very recently. The DNC <laughs> gave up and was like, we're going to do this virtually. So they've had a lot longer to plan. Um, I don't expect any fireworks because they don't really have any good speakers. I'm not sure what to expect from Donald Trump. I, I hope that he doesn't do something totally uh, impulsive. Like, you know, fire someone important and hire somebody else live on stage during a speech. <laughs> I wouldn't put it, has done that. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put it below him. Um, I, I think it's going to be very unpleasant. And I think that, you know, I, I'm not a type, I, I don't normally advise people not to watch something, but this is like literally propaganda. And if it's going to upset you and you already know who you're going to vote for, what you can do is just leave it to the pros to watch it. And then read all the recaps from the left and the right afterwards to get a sense of what actually happened. You don't have to watch.
0: I think you should. I think we gotta know we gotta know the enemy. Look at what we're look like. This is the other side. For as much as we wanna talk about the Democrats, stare into the heart of QAnon conspiracy darkness. You just it just every like you know, just like I think that everyone should like watch the Helsinki co- press conference and like the the press conference where Trump said there were good people on both sides. Like every once in a while, we should just like watch that and just remember, and remember like who this is. person is. But so, you're right. For, but for, like, who,
2: I think I don't think that's a that's a that's not a panacea. That's not a panacea. Everybody should just do what's best for them. But it is acceptable if you feel like you're just gonna lose your mind to skip it. But that is a
1: good point. This is this is actually a real opportunity for Donald Trump to put, like, QAnon on stage and issue a whole other level of propaganda. Because if the RNC is not really taking part in it, who knows? Who knows what's actually Maybe happening? Maybe that's the October surprise, Nomiki. That's It's Q.
0: <laughs> Trump will reveal himself as Q and just have to was, wear a
2: cape from now on? I was thinking he fires Mike Pence and makes Q his running mate oh my god <laughs> that could happen no I've it'll
1: been- be ivanka ivanka will be like jared's cue
2: surprise I no, no. feminist than ivanka i cannot wait to banish her from everything for the Me rest do. of her life
0: she's she's gonna try to remain relevant for so long um my my, my profiler, profiler. <laughs> ted cruz is gonna admit finally that melania is hotter than his wife uh, live on state, live or not live in front of everybody virtually, he's going to admit that he is the Zodiac Killer. That's those two things Zodiac Killer, and yes, I'd rather bang Melania than Heidi. That's just it. Like, that's it. We're going to see the most insane sycophantic rants from all of the Republicans. Uh, and I'll be watching. I'll be popcorning and
1: <laughs> it'll be
0: nuts.
2: It'll be good. Tommy Larry might
1: speak. She'll be like the rising star. Uh, Ben Shapiro, <laughs> this is, it'll literally be like the worst, of the, it'll be Fox
2: News. He, he literally just admitted that his wife's vagina is super dry all the time and he has the gall <laughs> to show his face. I, and she's, same. she's married to, him still. We need because to bring shame we, back.
0: We, we must, we must wrap up, but I also want to debate Ben Shapiro specifically on, uh, on female genitalia. No, I don't. <laughs> no, that's fucking, why am I saying all the gross things out loud? Um. <sighs> Aaron, thank you so much for being here. Aaron Gloria Ryan, uh, tell us how we can follow you and find your stuff.
2: Um, Well, you can follow me on I'm on Twitter at Morning Gloria. I'm on Instagram. That's less interesting; It's mostly cat and dog pictures. Um, And you know, Hysteria drops every Thursday. It's it's a fun show. Francesca has been on the show before. It's uh, it's a fun show. So check that out if you're if you feel so inclined.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Aaron. Be well.
1: And Nomiki, how can we follow your work? Uh, You can find me on The Nomiki Show on YouTube and patreon.com slash The Nomiki Show, N-O-M-I-K-I. We have an RNC special every day this week at 3 p.m. Eastern on The Nomiki Show, where we're going to kind of like do the counter-programming. We're actually going to have some Republicans on that like work for Trump uh, on the show tomorrow. It'll be amazing. A Nice little debate Uh, yeah. So that's the Namikis show. It's normally, um, a weekly show, but we're, we're, we're doing this special week. And then I have to give a plug to matriarch matriarch. Uh, we just didn't, we just endorsed, uh, Marquita Bradshaw in Tennessee. She just shocked the world with $9,000 defeated the democratic establishment Senate candidate. She's a Senate nominee. She's a nurse. She's a woman of color and she's running in a state that Al Gore had last time. And the Democrats are like, oh, maybe we can win. But now that it progresses, we don't know. So we have to show her the love. That's matriarchpack.com. Take care, Nomiki. We'll see you
0: soon. And thank you all for being here and for watching. And thank you for dealing with all the uh, technical difficulties. I didn't drop that our uh, tip jar remains less full than I would love it to be. TBR-Live on Venmo. TBR-Live on Cash App. We are donating a portion of those proceeds to farm workers to help them survive COVID and also the fact that they're essential workers and are totally underpaid and not respected and given the security that they need. Tip us. And thank you so much for being here. Um, Shout out to Becca Roofer, our amazing producer, with me every week. Next week, your boy Nato Green is back in the house. Um, And remember, vote because John Lewis took a bat to the skull for our right to vote. Uh, I am a Bernie babe, but I will drift towards the center when it comes to this election and cast that ballot because the alternative is this.
2: They were saying the other night, the shark. They were saying, no oh, sharks, we have to protect them. I said, wait a minute, wait. They actually want to remove all the seals in order to save the shark. I said, wait, a minute, don't you have it the other way around? That's true. No, I'm not a big fan of sharks either. I don't know how many votes am I going to lose. I have people calling me up, sir. We want to we have a fund to save the shark. It's called Save the Shark.
0: I say, no, thank you.
2: I have other things I can contribute to.
0: I recognize Israel's true capital opened the American embassy in Jerusalem. <laughs> he doesn't do segues, you guys, but he is going to lose the shark vote. Bye.